beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the Scripture says about the promised Messiah. The Old Testament promised that the Messiah would come through the line of Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, Galatians chapter 3. He would be of the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49. Of the line of David, 2 Samuel 7. Isaiah 7.14 predicted that he would be born of a virgin. Micah 5.2 said that he would be born in Bethlehem. He would be betrayed by a close and trusted friend, Psalm 41.9. He would be beaten and spit upon and have his beard pulled out, Isaiah 50, Micah chapter 5. The soldiers would gamble for his clothing, Psalm 22. He would be crucified, uh, Psalm 22, and pierced, Zechariah 12. His death would be vicarious, it would be on behalf of another, Psalm, or, uh, Isaiah 53. He would rise from the dead, Isaiah 53, Psalm 16. This is the gospel. This is what the scriptures speak about the Christ. He was prophesied of the old covenant. And this is the problem that the new covenant believers, which at the end of old covenant history, which is a transition, which the writer of the Hebrews speaks about, transitioning from the old covenant into the new covenant, they had difficulty understanding. They had difficulty because oftentimes they had their own agenda. They wanted the overthrow of the Roman government. They wanted the, the Jewish establishment, the Jewish nation, to be raised up, to raise up to power again, and to be rising up in glory, and to lord it over then the Roman emperor, the Roman province. So they didn't think about this king that would come and that would die on a cross. Why? Because they weren't thinking in line of Scripture. Now, this is evident. This is what we call an axiom. An axiom is a self-evident truth. It is evident to us as believers that unless we're in the Word of God, we will not be cultivating the mind of Christ. And if we're not in the Word of God cultivating the mind of Christ, then it will be our agenda that we'll want to push. And it won't be, what does the Lord say? It will be, what do I feel and what do I think? Which is totally irrelevant when it comes to Bible prophecy. The disciples had a problem because of that. They were not believing the scriptures with regards to the resurrection. That's difficult to swallow, isn't it? But is it any different in our lives we struggle with things that we don't understand either, and you don't even think about it. And this is what was going on in the life of the disciples. So Jesus corrects them, and notice how he does it, beginning with the two on the road to Emmaus. Jesus walks alongside of them as they're walking together, talking about all the things that had taken place in Jerusalem at this time. And Jesus comes as a good teacher. He begins to ask them questions. What are you talking about as you walk along the way? And notice he points out, and are sad. That's what happens to us when we don't understand the truth. We're sad people. And Jesus said, uh, and asked them this question, and they begin to respond, what, what, are you a stranger? You don't know what's been going on? You haven't heard these things? What things? 
Well, about Jesus. We really thought he was the prophet. What does that mean? That is referring back to Moses speaking in Deuteronomy 18 about the prophet who would come. We really thought that it was him because he was mighty in word and mighty in deed. But they crucified him. Notice how their hopes fell off at that point. Why? Because they weren't thinking about what the scriptures teach. Just thinking about the scriptures that I brought up to you earlier about the resurrection, about the suffering servant. You can't read Isaiah 53 and not know what's going on there. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 8, that's when the Ethiopian eunuch asks about this. Who does the prophet say this about? Himself or somebody else? It is at this point that Stephen begins to proclaim Jesus to him. So what do we find? Isaiah's gospel is speaking about Jesus, who is the suffering servant. And yet, they missed it. Jesus said this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's a refrain that went on. The Son of Man must suffer many things at the hands of the Jews. He must be beaten, whipped, scourged. He must be crucified. He must die. But he will rise again. And it's like they had their fingers in their ears. We don't want to hear that. Jesus said that to Peter. What was Peter's response? Never. This will never happen to you. Peter wasn't on God's agenda page. Peter had his own agenda And how do you know that? Because Jesus said to him, Get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but you have in mind the things of men. You have men's agenda on your mind. You don't have God's agenda. Because isn't it written that it happens this way? How will then the Scriptures thus be fulfilled? If it doesn't happen, how will I fulfill the Scriptures? The very purpose, the reason I have come. Lo, it is written of me in the volume of the book, I come to do thy will, O my God. So, this is what Jesus says. He calls them foolish ones and slow of heart to believe. Where are you at with regards to this? Are you slow of heart to believe all that is promised in Scripture? Do you read the Bible and do you make objections? Do you read the Scriptures and you say, oh, I can't believe that happened. The worst case scenario is you're an unbeliever. That's the worst case scenario. You just simply don't have faith. The best case scenario is you're just infantile. You need to grow. And how do you grow? You grow by reading and cultivating the Word in your life. That's how the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, grows us up into maturity so that we believe the promises of God. Come what may. Doesn't matter what men says. Doesn't matter what the nose count is. It's simply what does the Scriptures teach? They were foolish. Hey, beloved, 
we're foolish when we don't believe the Word of God. When you believe the things of men over the Word of God, we're foolish. You're acting as a fool. The world is passing away and the lust of it. But the man who does the will of God abides forever. They were slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. He said, ought not the Christ to have suffered and enter into his glory? What's he saying there? Doesn't the scriptures teach this? What are you so foolish? Are you so ignorant? Are you so moronic that you don't know the teaching of scripture that it happens thus? So he begins with Moses and all the prophets and expounded them. It's a great Bible study, isn't it? Would you like to have been there? I'd have loved to have been there. It's walking along with Jesus and he's having a Bible study. Notice he says from, he begins with Moses and the prophets and explains to them in all the scriptures the things pertaining to himself. That's the best Bible study. So they drew near and this is what happened. They, he's going to go on. They want him to stay. He ends up staying with them. Interesting, interesting in the breaking of bread he's made known to them. Now notice, it doesn't say he poof and disappeared. That he vanished simply could have meant he got up and walked away. We have this idea that Jesus is walking. And remember, he has a body. It's a glorified body. But it's a body. It's a human body. Do you know human bodies that walk through walls? Well, that's what we want to say. Jesus walked. It doesn't say that he walked through the walls. They were in an upper room and then Jesus appeared to them. It doesn't say he walked through the walls. It just doesn't account. It doesn't say. But he could have just opened the door and walked in. We immediately think, well, he walked. He's, he's fully human. My human body glorified is not going to walk through that wall. So be careful of drawing assumptions that are not there in the text. We're good at that. <clears throat> they said, why didn't our hearts burn within us while he talked with us and walked along the way? So these two began to account to the other disciples what had took place. And they were frightened. They, Jesus appears to them, thinks they have saw a ghost, a spirit, same thing when they were out on the lake and Jesus walks to them. They were afraid. They were terrified. Thought they had seen a ghost. He had to tell them, fear not. It is I. We're a fearful people. Jesus calms them with his word. And then he goes on and he begins to speak to his disciples in this way. In, in our text, notice. Then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. Jesus was with his disciples and he taught them and he did so for a space of three years. He walked with them, he talked with them, he explained the scriptures to them. He was revealing and unfolding the revelation of God to his men who he was calling to the work of ministry. To go out into all the world and proclaim Christ as his ambassadors. His representatives. Find in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Ambassadors for Christ. They are those that are commissioned. They are those sent out by the Lord for this work. And this is what Jesus said. I, I told you. I told you many times. We find it in Luke chapter 9. We find it again in Luke chapter 22. Jesus spoke to them about what he was going to do. That all these things 
must be fulfilled. Now look at that word fulfilled there. He's already told them the things of Moses and he's talked about also the prophets. They must be fulfilled. So everything that is prophesied about Jesus must come to completion. Pleru, the Greek term there, means fulfilled, complete, filled up. It must happen. It must come to pass. Which were written, now I want you to to catch this. The things that were written in the law of Moses, prophets, and the Psalms concerning me. Now this is what's called the threefold division. You have the law. The law is the Pentateuch. It speaks about the first five books which Moses wrote. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's the law. And Jesus is saying that Moses wrote about me. You find that in John chapter 5. If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. So the terminus we find there of what Moses wrote was about Jesus. He was the prophet that was to come. He was the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. He was the covering. He was also the sacrifice. You find that throughout the law. He is the one in the book of Leviticus with all the ceremonies, types, symbols, sacrifices. They all prefigured the Christ to come. So you have that. Now, notice the other division is the prophets. Now, this means former prophets, latter prophets. So beginning with Joshua, the prophetic books. You have all of those, Nehemiah, Ezra, and you also find then with the prophets of major prophets, minor prophets. The major prophets... Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel. And it's because of the extent of their writings. That's what you have there. You have the minor prophets. Again, because they didn't write as much in all of the 14 minor prophets that are listed as well. Jesus is saying that they wrote about me. Then he says the Psalms. Now, most of the time people read that just about the Psalms. What about the Proverbs? The the division is referring to not just the Psalms, but the wisdom literature, which means Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. uh, They're referring to the wisdom literature of Scripture, the Song of Solomon. Jesus is saying the whole of the Old Testament speaks about me. So if you go to the Old Testament and you miss the prophecy referring to Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, God come in the flesh, then you've missed it because they all speak about Him. He said so. I don't know why we have apoplexy about that. The Old Testament speaks about Jesus. It reveals Him. It ends in Him. It begins with Him. He is the Logos. He is the Word. He is the pre-incarnate appearance of God. The theophanies of the Old Covenant. They were Christ. Who did Moses talk to at the burning bush? The Logos. The pre-incarnate Christ. Who was it with regards to Joshua? And he said, are you for us or are you against us? Neither. I am the captain of the Lord's army. That was the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And it goes on and on with that. He is the Word of God. 
And so Jesus says, don't you know these things? You should have known these things. Why didn't you know these things? Why don't we, beloved? Before we start pointing fingers, which is easy for us to do, isn't it? Well, if I was, I wouldn't. Yes, you would. I would have too. We would be among the categories of, oh, you foolish one and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Why is it? I think there's a twofold. Number one, we are slow to be in the Word of God. Let me put some, some, some pressure on you right now. How much have you been in the Word of God this week? As compared to other things in this world that you cultivate in your life, how much time have you spent cultivating the words of the prophets? Then I think also another problem that we have is a lack of dependence upon the Spirit of God who alone illumines our minds to the truth. Beloved, when you come to this book, this is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of the true and living God who alone can give you understanding of His word. You don't come with natural eyes thinking you're going to understand the Scriptures. God must open your understanding. And this is what we're going to find here. Notice verse 45. He opened their understanding. Uh, the, the, the Greek term, the ignoigo, means to bring a greater full understanding. So greater fullness. So in other words, it's not as if they were unbelievers. They were believers. But they needed to understand more. Uh, let me say it this way. Uh, one of the guys I really like in the New Testament is Apollos. Apollos, we read about him in, in Acts 18 and 19. And he was a man who was mighty in the scriptures. He was zealous. He refuted the Jews, but he only knew the baptism of John. And Apollo, um, Ananias and, or, um, Aquila and Priscilla brought him aside and explained to him more fully the things of Christ. That's what we need. That's what they needed. That's what it's saying here. He opened their understanding. Notice the understanding there. The mind, the noose. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now, here are disciples that are steeped in the Old Testament. And here we are in the New Covenant. And they are needing their minds open to understand in a fuller extent the things of God. How much more us. We need this, beloved. We need to be praying this. Have you prayed this this week? Have you prayed this? The last time you've gone to the Word, did you pray, Lord, open my understanding? Did you confess as the truth is? I am dense and ignorant of so many things in Scripture. Give me understanding, Lord. If you read Psalm 119, David does that again and again and again. Teach me, make me, guide me, lead me, instruct me. This is what we need. We need this as the people of God. And this is what Jesus gives them. He opens their understanding. Notice the dependence upon understanding God's word is God himself. We are dependent upon the Lord. Now, beloved, if you're going to the scriptures and you are not asking the Lord to give you understanding and to open the closed, to soften the hard, to give enlightenment to that which is dull, 
then you're not understanding the book that you're approaching, that it is God's word and God gives understanding. God gives that revelation within his people to understand the truth. We must depend upon him. Apart from him, it all falls to the ground. He gives the understanding that they might comprehend or they have a greater understanding of the word of God. Right, it's two different words that are coming from the same root uh, to understand. Comprehending the scriptures. Notice it's the scriptures. Scriptures speak about everything that pertains to life and godliness. Does the scriptures speak about finances? Absolutely. Jesus spoke much on finances, much on money in the New Testament. Speak about the providential hand of God. How much do we need rooted into our souls, the providential teaching of God's Word. God's providence, that all things come not by chance, but by His fatherly hand. We need it. We need it as a church because we don't think along those lines often. Because we say things such as, it just so happened. Or what a strange coincidence. Or it happened out of the blue. Or he was lucky. Or that happened by chance. You ever had somebody say that to you before? Get pulled over and a police officer comes up and he says, By chance, do you have your driver's license? I, I have my driver's license, but it's not by chance. It's by design. I mean, I'm I lawfully, I am required to have proof of driver's license uh, on me at all time when I'm driving this vehicle, right? Yes, but it happened by chance. I put it in my pocket. It didn't jump in there. But you know what? We talk that way. And you know what? It's amazing, isn't it? Because my problem when I'm going through difficulties of life is letting my heart speak. That's my problem. Because you can talk yourself right out of believing and trusting the hand of God. What I need is to speak to my heart. And I need to speak God's word to my heart. And I need God to open my mind in a greater measure of his providential hand in my life. That even the sickness that comes upon me did not happen by chance. But he has a purpose in all things that he does. All things, beloved. Not most things, but all things. Nothing in this world happens by chance. It is all by design. It doesn't matter how it looks to me. It doesn't matter how it looks to the world. It doesn't matter what people say. God is providentially constructing, governing all things for His glory and for the good of His people. We need that understanding. And so, Jesus said, Thus it is written, and thus it is necessary for the Christ to suffer. It was necessary. It was necessary for Jesus to come in humiliation. It was necessary that the virgin would give birth, and that she would give birth to one who is truly God and truly man in one person. And his name would be called Jesus, because Jesus is Jehovah's salvation. That he would be the promised one prophesied in Genesis 3 that would crush the head of the serpent and redeem his people from all of their sin and misery. He would be the one who was mocked, 
who was scourged, spit upon. His beard was plucked out. He was nailed to a cross. He would suffer the ravages of the pain of the body physically and temporally and then suffer the wrath of God in his soul. The inexpressible anguish, pains, and tears of the cross. He would endure that. Why? For the salvation of his people. This is what's prophesied. And then he would die, but he would rise again. His rising from the dead, the resurrection, the Anastasius, the being one who was standing up again is prophesied because death could not hold him down. Why? Because he had no sin. Sin was imputed to him. It was not infused into him. He was not a sinner. He was treated as if he was. But he had no sin. He committed no sin. There was no sin in his mouth. He had no sinful thoughts. He loved the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, even while saying, My God, my God, why hast thou abandoned me? Why have you forsaken me? He was loving his Father to the fullness. Because that's what it took for our salvation. He drank the dregs to the bitter end that we might then receive the righteousness of God in Him. This is what Christ has done for His people. And because He was not a sinner, He rose the third day. Prophesied. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God sent His Son into the world to live and die That sinners, lawbreakers, you and I, might have life in that more abundantly. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he rose from the dead because death could not hold him down because he was no sinner? Do you believe that he rose and he ascended to heaven? And he now sits at the right hand of the Father, ruling over all things. Do you believe that? If you don't believe that, you are what's called an unbeliever. And you are under the wrath and curse of God. If you do believe that, all glory, all honor, and all praise goes to God, who has created faith in your heart to believe that wondrous news of the gospel. That's the good news, beloved. Christ rose. Christ rising from the dead. He's not here, he's risen. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not dead. Don't you know the scriptures that it must happen thus, that he must rise from the dead? Christ rises from the dead. He is one who is exalted at the right hand, which tells me, which then declares to me in loud words that my sins are forgiven. The one who bore my sin has rose from the dead, meaning the Father has accepted the work of the Son on my behalf. That's glorious news. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And so he says, repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all the nations. So God sends forth Preachers, God sends forth his people to evangelize. The preaching, Caruso, is the heralding of the gospel. Now notice the contents of the gospel, repentance. What is repentance? The Greek term metanoia means a change of mind. It's a reversal, it's a turn from something. 
It's a turn from thinking certain ways. And when you turn from thinking certain ways, it affects then the way that you live. So it begins first and foremost in the mind, and then it translates in the action. That needs to be proclaimed. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you are not one who is daily repenting, turning away from your sins always more and more, you're not in the faith. You're not a true believer. That's, that's basic and it's simple. We think that anybody that's baptized is in the kingdom. That's just saying so. There were many in the old covenant that were circumcised that went to perdition. There were those that were in the New Testament that were baptized who are in hell right now. Why? Because salvation is of the Lord. Faith regeneration is the work of the Lord and the work of the Lord alone. And if you are not one who is constantly, continually, daily, moment by moment, turning from the old habits, dispositions, desires, affections, the way that you think, and looking unto Jesus, looking unto the truth, believing the truth, cultivating the truth, you're not in the faith. This is a work of the Spirit. The outward man is falling to the earth daily, but the inward man is being renewed moment by moment. Being renewed. I'm renewed by the, by the thinking, right? The thinking is renewed by the Word of God, Paul says in Romans 12. The mind is being renewed. And when there is repentance, there is an evidence of remission. Remission, uh, the, the Greek term, uh, a phias or a phiomi, to send away. This is what it means. Sins are sent away. You bear them no more. To be one who believes is to be one who repents, is to have the confident assurance that my sins have been sent away and I bear them no more. All because Christ was sent into this world, lived, died, rose from the dead, ascended on high and sits ruling over all things to the glory of his Father. Are you believing the promise? Faith and repentance. Two sides of the same coin. If you have true faith, you are truly one who is repenting. If you are not repenting, you don't have true faith. I don't care what you say. You can say, I, I'm a member, I blah, blah, blah. I don't care about that one whit. If you have true faith... You are one turning from your sins always more and more. Jesus said, these are the witnesses, the martyrs. that They go out and proclaim the word. The promise is the promise of the Holy Spirit who would give them power to go out and preach. Beloved, we, we gather every Lord's Day because of the resurrection of Christ. This is what we commemorate every Lord's Day. Christ rose from the dead. This particular day we remember specifically Christ rose from the dead. Not every sermon deals with the resurrection of Christ, but today Christ rose from the dead. And because Christ rose from the dead, you have the assurance of God's word in the work of the Messiah that your sins are forgiven you. Are you believing? Are you trusting? Your sins have been sent away. The scapegoat. Jesus Christ has bore your sins. He was the one who stood before the tabernacle and the blood of the Savior was sprinkled upon in, in the form of the goat with cleansing. And he was the scapegoat who took your sins into the wilderness 
never to return to you again. Are you believing? Are you trusting? Well then, hallelujah, Christ arose. This is the confirmation, the comfort, the perseverance, the boldness that we have as believers. That Christ has been raised from the dead to die no more. This, beloved, is the blessed assurance of our blessed resurrection as well. Believe, trust, cry out to the Lord. He gives understanding to the mind. Amen. Shall we pray?